Thanks, Pastor. Morning, everyone. I'm, I'm Nate, uh, one of the pastors here. Good morning. How are you all doing? Good. Good, good to see you. Uh, some great news I want to share about, about Jessica, actually. So I'm glad you're, you're up here still. I'm still here. Yeah. How, how did you know to stay? Okay. Uh, this summer, Nate Severson and I and Jessica talked a lot about their roles here, their job descriptions, where they're gifted, and we've made some changes in their, their focuses uh, now as, as staff members here. And uh, I don't know if you know this about Jessica, but she has 20 years of experience helping people encounter the kingdom of God, uh, sharing their faith with others. She's got a master's degree from Wheaton College in evangelism and leadership. Uh, So she's got the tools to help lead us in some new ways. And uh, just about a week ago, our denomination, uh, the the Evangelical Covenant Church of America, kind of our tribe of people, uh, affirmed Jessica's calling and in, in, uh, her pastoral calling and gifting. And so she's entered into the, she's now licensed in our denomination and entered into the process to move towards ordination. So we have decided to start calling her Pastor Jessica. Yeah, really exciting. So part of her role is, is going to be leading us towards outreach, keeping our eyes outward. Uh, and, toward, and also leading us in the areas of prayer, like she was just talking about on November 13th, that prayer night. So she's our pastor of outreach, and we're just uh, thrilled and excited to have her on the team and, and God's affirmation in her life as she continues to pursue this pastoral ministry. So she's going to help us, again, share the good news of Jesus with those around us, like Nate talked about last week, doing justice, loving mercy, and uh, walking humbly with our God. And she's going to keep us uh, prayer before us and, and keep us connected to our local outreach Partners that are on the, the board back there. When I turned around to look at the board, my back cracked. Oh, no. So now I know I'm old. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we're just really excited to have you here. So we want to pray for her. And also her husband, Dave, is with InterVarsity and one of our supported missionaries. And Dave has uh, a bunch of uh, in, in, um, InterVarsity interns here this morning, right? From Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri. So we are Can you guys stand up and just wave? We're going to make you do yeah. that. So we want to pray for them as well, you know, what God's doing in their lives, how he's calling them. And then we want to just lift up this time together in God's word. So will you talk to God with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jessica. We thank you for your calling and gifting in her life, for the ways that she is seeking to um, help your people find uh, focus and energy towards outreach, towards loving our neighbors, towards sharing the good news of Jesus with those around us. So we ask that you would continue to refine this call in her life, continue to give her uh, insight in the ways that you've gifted her and, and ways that she can lead us. Father, we're so thankful for her presence with us and the ways that you're working through her to encourage our church community um, to make a difference in this neighborhood. And Lord, we thank you for Dave and his work with InterVarsity and those that are here this morning from InterVarsity and the work they're doing to bring uh, the kingdom, to be part of the kingdom work on campuses all around the Kansas City area. We pray that this morning as they gather for training that you would encourage them and strengthen that calling in their life and their heart to what you have for them in in these days, the the ministry you've put before them. And Father, as we open up scripture together this morning, we just invite you, Spirit of God, to speak to us, to, to challenge us, to transform us, that we might live in new ways, that we might love others well. So use this time for your glory, Father God. And it's because of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jessica. (laughs) 
So uh, I'm sure some of you might be here uh, newer to the church this morning. Some might be watching online for the very first time. And we're really glad that you're here. There's just one more little kind of thing I want to talk about, and it's a little bit of family business, you know, things that those of us who are part of this church would be able to celebrate. So hopefully you can bear with us a little bit longer. Uh, but many of you know Clarissa, and uh, she's been part of our staff team for seven years. And about a year ago, she had to step away from serving here at the church because she was in that process of, of, of getting that uh, work visa, that green card, in a more 10-year uh, plan kind of uh, approach. She, we, she came here to work with us from Brazil with a religious visa, and that was running out. So two years ago, or maybe three years ago, she, three years ago, she applied for this green card and waited for two years and heard nothing and didn't see things moving. And then a year ago, she had to, again, step away from working here and wait uh, for that to come through. And we, you know, we prayed with her. We supported her. She was living close by. And, and uh, like just a few weeks before she was going to deport back to Brazil, the word came that she was approved to move forward and could continue to pursue that green card. And so we celebrated with her. She came back this summer to work on staff. And just this last week, received the news that the green card's in the mail and will be here in a week. And so we're really excited about that. Clarissa, you want to come up? So we want to celebrate this news. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've watched uh, and prayed with her, kind of many of us from the outside, just knowing this is happening. And so we just want to give you a chance to kind of let us on the inside a little bit. And so just tell us, what has it been like uh, waiting for this stamp of approval that you, know, that you belong here, that you can work here? What's been, what's been difficult about that for you? I First of all, I didn't say this the, the second service, but I want to thank everybody that prayed with me on that. Like, I, so many people pray with me in this, so I'm so thankful for all of you guys. But I think the worst part, if I can say it this way, it was feeling that somebody else was in charge of my future, that somebody else, as you know, getting that approved from the government and everything, was like, I, if somebody asked me the question, like, what are your plans five years from now? I'm like, I don't know. I, I can, you know, like I just can make those plans. It just felt so so much anxiety because I couldn't make those plans. So, yeah, that was the worst part. Yeah, yeah. So we are so glad. So thanks, Clarissa, for sharing yeah. that with us. Let's give her a hand again. Thanks for. Just really good news to celebrate this morning, and I thought it'd be helpful for Clarissa to share that with us because in. Some ways, and maybe smaller ways, we can relate to that feeling of someone else being in control and uh, having to wait for a decision they might make. Many of us have been in those positions before, maybe not to the kind of height and extent that Clarissa has been and still is in process, but, but we've been in those places. I can think back to like elementary school and you would stand against the brick wall waiting to be picked for kickball, just hoping, you know, that the captain, one of those captains would pick you and it would get down to the like four left and you'd be thinking, ah, oh, this is not going my way, or you could think back to high school when you walk into the cafeteria and you were hoping you'd have a place to sit and you knew if that one friend was there that you'd be okay, but if they were sick or they didn't make it to lunch, then your spot might be up for grabs and you wondered if you'd have a place. We've, um, we've been in that place where we've watched friends post pictures on Instagram about the great concert that they went to and we, we see that picture and think, well, why didn't they invite me? Usually I'm with them at these things and we feel that feeling of being left out or not included that we're not in with the, the group we hoped we would be in with. We've all been in those places, feeling like we're far away, uninvited, distant, and it's not a, a great place to be. In the Bible, we see kind of two groups start to come to the surface as we're reading through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we read the story of the Jewish people, all these descendants of Abraham, all connected through that lineage back to their great, 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 great grandfather Abraham, and, and they see themselves as the Jewish people, 
And then there's this other group of people that is anyone who's not Jewish. So you have the Jewish people and then you have the Gentiles. And we have these two groups that are, are separate and, and, and not together. And, and if you're Jewish, you know you're not Gentile. And you're glad you're not Gentile. And, and you, you stand opposed to that way of life and those who fall into that camp of the Gentile camp. And then Jesus, this rabbi, this son of God, shows up and he begins to change the, the boundaries. He begins to change the barriers and creates something new, something that both are invited into. And so Paul would write about this in Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. How many spirits? It's one Spirit that brings us together. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And Paul says we're no longer strangers, but we, that's how we feel sometimes. We sometimes feel like strangers, like we're disconnected and alone. And, and even in that early church community, as it began to grow and expand and have influence, it was led by the disciples who were all Jewish men. And as Romans and Greeks and, and uh, others, Gentiles, became followers of Jesus, those disciples, they had a hard time getting their arms around this idea that these two now were included as, as part of the kingdom of God, as citizens with God's people, this diverse community was difficult for them to get their arms around. But we're, we're wanting to belong. We're wanting that kind of connection. Angela Haven and I moved here about 17 months ago. And uh, when, can I still, am I still able to use that I'm new here card? I don't know if I can still pull that down after 17 months. I think maybe I lost that card along the way. But uh, 17 months ago, we came, and as we moved in, we were like, now, who are our people going to be? That's one of the first questions we were asking. Who, who are we going to belong with? Who's going to want to know about our lives as much as we want to know about their lives? And, and Hillcrest, you have been a, a welcoming community for us. We have felt so uh, welcomed in and loved by you, like we belong here. We've never questioned if God was drawing us into this position and this role here at Hillcrest. But we do continue to ask that question, who are our people? Who are those friends that will walk with us when the storms of life come? Because we all are longing for that, that, that place of belonging, to know that, that we have people alongside us. And Paul tells us that Jesus came, that we might have friendship with God, that we might be God's people, God's family, members of his household. What an amazing promise, because that is at the core of what we long for, a place to belong, a people to be a part of. And Jesus opens that up for us. And, and we are accepted just as we are. Not, not who we pretend to be, not who we would like to be someday, not who my mom wants me to be. Just as I am, we are accepted and loved in this community of faith. And scripture has a word to capture this idea of this belonging. Scripture gives us an image in the passage we just read about what does it mean to be part of the people of God. And the word is citizenship, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, Paul writes these words, God saved us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We have shifted our, our connection and our citizenship. We are no longer in that old kingdom. We are now in this new kingdom, a new location spiritually. We're no longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness, but we've been welcomed into this new kingdom of the son of God. And this new identity, it happens to us when we surrender our lives to Christ. It's an immediate change of citizenship. And yet, it's something that develops over time. 
Our identity is secure in who we are as children of God, forgiven because of Christ. And yet we still develop and grow in that, becoming more and more like, like, like Christ, like Jesus over time. It's a lot like the kingdom of God in that way. We've been talking about the kingdom over the last three or four weeks. And the kingdom of God is, is present with us, but not in its fullness. It has arrived, but it's still coming to bear in our lives. And in the same way, our citizenship is in in heaven, it's connected to God, and we are continuing to grow into that. It's just like Clarissa and the process that she's been through and is continuing to move forward with. There's still more to come. And so Paul writes to his friends about this citizenship in heaven in, in the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Philippians chapter 3. If you want to open up your Bible app on your phone, we're going to go Philippians 3 verse 18 and look some more at this idea of the citizenship. What does it mean to be a citizen in the, the kingdom of God? And Paul writes this letter to his friends in Philippi for a couple reasons. One, he just wants to thank them. Paul is writing from prison in Rome. And as a prisoner, he's, doesn't, he's not always able to provide for the needs that he has. And so this church, his friends in Philippi, they took a collection and sent aid along to him so that he could have food and shelter and clothing. And so he writes to say, thank you for taking care of me. And it's interesting because Paul was, when he was with them years before, when he was in Philippi, he was arrested and spent a night in their prison in Philippi. And so they have a, a close affiliation with, with prisoner Paul um, and kind of relate to now he's in prison again. They, they have a compassion for him. So he says, thank you. And then he also writes to them to say, hey, there's some people, there are those among you who are called as citizens, but they're beginning to live in a different way. They're beginning to lean back into the old posture, the old kingdom they used to be a part of. And so he wants to write to them about that and, and challenge them in that. So look at Philippians 3, verse 18, and we're going to read to verse 21. Here's what Paul writes. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul says to his friends, our citizenship is in heaven. And right before that phrase, he says, but. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven because there is a, another option. Did you catch the other option in the passage there? The other identity marker. If one identity marker is citizen of heaven, what's the other identity marker? Did you see it? There's actually, there's the word enemy. Did you see the word enemy in there? You're living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. It's another identity marker. Either you're part of the kingdom or you're part of this group he calls the enemy of the cross of Christ. Either you're a citizen of heaven or an enemy of the cross. You're either welcomed into the kingdom or you're stuck in that kingdom of darkness. There's this in and out language. And we see that language throughout the New Testament over and over again. Almost every letter, every parable, we see this image, this idea of those who are in and those who are out, those who are family and those who cause divisions, those who belong and those who are strangers. And even Jesus used these kinds of terms. He talked about in the field of this world, there, are, there is wheat and there is weeds. When it comes to the kind of life that you're building, there is the wise builder and there is the foolish builder. When it comes to that, that dinner feast at the end of time, 
the big celebration in heaven with the big table, there are those who have a seat at the table and there are those who are outside in the darkness. You are either in or out, friend or enemy, family or stranger. And I want to just confess to you this morning that this kind of language is difficult for me. I don't know if it's challenging for you, but it's, it's difficult for me to have these kind of two categories and people being placed in these two categories because I, I want a, a big table. I want everyone welcomed in. I want a place where everyone knows they can belong and have a seat at the table. I'm a, I'm a gatherer. I'm not a hunter. <laughs> I like to bring people together. And so as we talk about this idea of inclusive or exclusive, it's, it's, it's challenging for me because I'm, I tend to lean towards inclusive. And we're talking about just a minute ago with Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that Jesus came to bring peace to those who are far away and those who are close by. So this either or inside or outside the kingdom, it's not easy for me to understand because there's other scripture passages that talk about how all are welcomed and loved. Passages that say there are nothing there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, that all are loved by him. That John 3.16, that says that Jesus came to earth because God loved the whole world. In scripture that says that God is not, not waiting, he's not impatient like we want him to be. I mean, he's patient like we need him to be, but he's patient because he's waiting for others to come to faith. He doesn't want any to face destruction. All are welcomed and included, but there's this tension that we see in scripture as well, the, the in and the out, the belonging and the not yet arrived. And so how do I deal with this tension? There's a few things I just want to share helps me deal with this tension. The first thing is, is that identity marker of enemy of the cross, that's not a final reality in this life. There, there are those that might be, we might even feel like I'm, you know, you might feel like I'm an enemy of the cross this morning. That's not a final reality for you in this life. There is always time for the spirit of God to, to turn that around, to change that around and welcome you into the kingdom of God. God is always at work. At any moment, you can move from um, outside to being welcomed in. At any moment, those who are divisive can become family. At any moment, those who are enemies of the cross can become citizens of the kingdom. The book of Revelation tells us that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And all we have to do is open that door and he'll come in and set up set up a house with us. He'll be in relationship with us. At any moment, that idea that I'm an enemy of the cross can be changed and we can become citizens of the kingdom. And let's remember how we're supposed to uh, treat our enemies. How did Jesus call us to, to interact with our enemies? What's the word that Jesus used? That's right, yeah, we're supposed to love our enemies. So we don't get to put that label on anybody else. We're called to love all people. Another thing that helps me with this tension is that a lot of times the passages that talk about the in or the out, the either or the or, are referring to people who are already connected in some way to the, the faith, to the people of God or the, the early church. To, in the Old Testament, you know, the nation of Israel, there were there was words that it was, it was those people who were already connected that were sometimes shifting their allegiances and moving in different ways. Jesus had really strong words for religious people who were religious leaders in the nation of Israel. And even in the early church, as Paul's writing this letter, he's writing to those who were part of the church community, and yet they had started to fall back into old patterns. They had moved back into that kingdom of darkness that they had been saved from. Paul calls those who are enemies of the cross, those are the religious people that he's writing to. 
Paul's not writing about some category of people uh, that, are, that are far from our sacred gatherings. It, he's writing about us, those who fill the church on Sunday. And for Paul in his day, it would have been those who fill the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's saying these, uh, the religious people are the ones that are getting their allegiances messed up and shifted. One, one study guide for the Bible says it this way, the most common denial of the gospel is religion. Any system by which people strive to reach up to God by their own strength, usually by means of trying to be good. So if you were here last Sunday, you'll remember Pastor Nate was talking about when we go to passages of Scripture, sometimes we, we take on the, the viewpoint of the hero or the one who's doing it right. When we read passages of stories in Scripture and there's someone doing it right and someone doing it wrong, we often say, well, I'm the one doing it right. Look at those over there doing it wrong. And he said, hey, why don't you change that up? Why don't you challenge yourself and instead look from the perspective of the one who needs to change, the one that is outside the kingdom, the one who needs God to do something new in their lives. We assume people of faith share our opinions and our perspective, but that's not always true. And sometimes we see those differences and we label someone as out or enemy or wrong because they don't look at life the same way we do. They may have a different way of approaching politics or how faith gets practiced or how we spend our money or, or sexuality or or how we parent, or what we do with our bodies, or the kinds of media and news that we consume. And it's important for us to remember that different does not equal enemy. Different does not equal enemy. There are times when we need to say, I can maybe learn something from someone else's perspective. When they're bringing a different way of looking at Scripture, when they're saying, I see in Scripture this that challenges what we think is right, just because they look at it differently doesn't make them the enemy. There is a posture that we can take and say, I, I need God to work in me. And instead of me standing in the place of saying, I'm right and they're wrong, maybe I need to open my ears and listen. It's important that we take on this self-reflection because we are those religious people that Jesus was speaking toward, that Paul was writing about. So let's be clear once again about this. We are not welcomed into the kingdom of God because we are good enough, because of some religious system. We're not welcomed into the kingdom of God because we've proven ourselves worthy of God's compassion. Jesus didn't teach that good people go to heaven. Jesus taught that dead people go to heaven, those who have died to themselves, those who have died through their own authority, those who have surrendered themselves. Two weeks ago, we talked about picking up your cross, and we said the cross is the image, the, is the um, image of death, and so we pick up our death. We surrender and sacrifice ourselves. And we receive this forgiveness from Christ. We don't have to be good enough. Christ was good enough for us. Jesus was good enough for us. And because of what he did, we are welcomed into the kingdom. Jesus didn't teach that good people go to heaven, but he did tell his followers to be good and to do good. But we do those things not for keys to the kingdom. We do the good things because we want to be part of what God's doing in our neighborhood. We want to be part of the transformation that he's doing in our family or at our school, or where we go to work. We want to get involved in that, so we join in. We're part of the movement of God on earth. We focus on building his kingdom, not our own kingdoms. I had lunch this last week with four different business entrepreneurial leaders here in the Kansas City area, and it was so exciting to sit with these leaders who have large companies. They're building big kingdoms, you could say, and yet they wanted to get together and talk about how is God's kingdom expanding? What can we do 
to encourage, encourage the kingdom of God in our midst. And we had, we had lunch together. I had the, the wedge salad. You guys like wedge salads? The blue cheese and bacon? It's kind of a bold choice when you're meeting new people to pick a, a blue cheese salad. You know, it's some dangerous ground. But, uh, you know, that's what I had. But we, I just enjoyed meeting these people who are saying, you know what, it's not about my kingdom. It's not about what I can build. I want to see what, what can God do through our working together. So if we go back to Philippians 3, and we, we talk about these two different categories of, of enemy or citizen, uh, what, what can we learn about that this morning? Now, Philippians 3.19, has a, it's an interesting sentence. It said, for these enemies of the kingdom, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. So we're given these different spiritual realities, and I'm going to go to the, uh, the digital whiteboard again. I'm going to try to write big, but if you, uh, if you can't see well, just forgive me for that. But this is these, these three kind of uh, realities. Um, sorry, i got to remind myself. Oh, yes. So first he talks about uh, destiny. And then he talks about uh, their God. And then he talks about the glory. And again, we've got these two categories. So we've got enemies. And we've got citizens. And so let's try to fill this in a little bit. What is the destiny of, of an enemy of the cross? You guys see it in the text there. He says their destiny is what? That's right. Their destiny is destruction. It's this pathway of walking away from the presence of God. So he says it's destruction. When we change our posture towards God and begin to walk in the ways of our old life, when we begin to move away from him, we're, we're heading back again towards this, this destruction. Why, why would we want to move away from God, the one who made us and loves us, who holds our lives who gives us hope, but we, we stand apart from him and we head on this path towards destruction. And there are spiritual forces at work in the world around us, constantly hitting us and causing us to doubt, to question, to move away, to not trust, to not have faith in what God is doing in our lives. And the, the destiny of the enemy of the cross is destruction. And their God, their God is what? Their stomach. It's the appetites of their their life, the things that they hunger for, the things that they desire. Instead of, of looking up to our good and faithful God, we sometimes get stuck looking down at the things that we desire, the wealth and power around us, the lust for sexual stimulation, the hunger for fame and attention. These appetites become our God. Those are the things that we worship and give our attention to and give our focus to, enemies of the cross. And then it says that their glory is... Their shame, yeah. That the things that they take pride in, the things that they hold up and say, look at what we can do, those things become their shame. Last weekend, I joined five other people from Hillcrest, and we got on a bus with another 25 people, and we did a three-day tour of the civil rights movement. Went down to Montgomery and Birmingham and Selma and Memphis and, and uh, experienced... This, this season, this, this history that we have, we were exposed to the brutal and broken and painful history of slavery and equality in our country. And we shared this experience with brothers and sisters of, of color, black and brown friends who have parents and grandparents and even themselves who have faced this, this racism, this hatred from people that look a lot like me. 
And this Wednesday, we're going to get together with those that took that trip and invite any of you that want to come and hear about our experience and hear the things that we saw and the things that we went through. Uh, This Wednesday night, if you want to join us for that at 6.30, you can do that. But one of the things that stood out to me during that weekend that really struck my heart was the Sunday afternoon uh, lynchings that have taken place for the last hundred years. And those who were in church would come out of their their churches, white people would come out of their white churches and head to the park in town where they'd bring some picnic and they would sit and watch as a, a black man or a black woman was hung from a tree. And there was pictures, I saw the pictures of people in their Sunday best holding their Bibles, looking up at a child of God created in God's image and it was entertainment for them. And their, their glory has become their shame should be ashamed of that. As enemies of the cross, this is what happens. You, you get all prideful about things in your life that you think are so great, and then you find out, or you realize, or it's shown to you the shame that you should hold on to. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote these words. Dear friends, since you are foreigners and temporary residents in this world, I'm encouraging you to keep away from the desires of your corrupt nature. These desires constantly attack you. Peter says, we got we to pay attention to the corrupt desires of our hearts, the sin of pride, the sin of racism. Peter say, would say, keep away from those things, those things that can corrupt you. They will be your shame. And instead, invite the Spirit of God to bring a new life, a new heart, a new mind into you. And so instead of enemies of the cross, we've been welcomed into the kingdom of God and invited to live as citizens of the king, of the kingdom. If we go back to Philippians 3, there we can figure out what is the destiny, who is the God, what is the glory of the citizens of the kingdom of God. So the destiny of the citizen is heaven. Connection with our creator, eternal relationship with the one who made us and loves us. We get to be in relationship with God. That is our destiny. And our, our God, what, what Paul writes is that it's our Savior. It says, even the Lord Jesus Christ, that as citizens, he, Jesus, is our King. He is our God. And our glory, our glory is found in the transformation that Jesus is making in our lives. Paul says that he takes our lowly bodies and transforms them into something else. It's the Spirit of God that will change our appetites and help us find resolution of those appetites and the the love and the grace of God. It's the Spirit of God that will create in us a new heart and a new mind, that we might set our eyes on things above and not on earthly things, that we might train ourselves to love as Jesus loved and to avoid putting people in categories and in you're out and I'm in and looking down on anyone. The glory of the citizen of heaven is this new life that we have in Jesus. The transformation that the Spirit of God brings into our lives. And Paul says that this is what we should stand firm in. That we stand firm in the Lord and in this new life that he's creating us for. Philippians 4.1, the very next verse, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm, not against others, not against those who live differently than we do. We stand firm against our own human nature 
that pulls us towards this, this identity of an enemy of the cross. We stand firm against our own appetites that grumble in our spirits. We stand firm against the things that we take pride in, the things that do not honor God's image in our lives or in the lives of those around us. We stand firm against exclusion and persecution based on race or culture or status. We stand firm against the categories and levels that we create and then love to put people into. We stand firm against that. We stand firm in the Lord. We are part of the kingdom of God, the movement of God on earth. And Jesus said that when we live into that identity, that we will bring light to dark places. We will bring seasoning. We'll be salt. We'll bring out God flavors in the world around us. We'll be like a city on a hill that others are welcomed into, a place of safety and love and protection and belonging, a, a big table where all are welcome to experience new life in Christ. The kingdom of God, the church, is really the only organization that exists for those who are not yet part of it. We are here to encourage one another, but we exist for those who are not yet here, for those in our families, those in our neighborhoods, those at school, those at work that are experiencing life apart from God, and we exist that they might come to know a new kind of life, the love of their creator God. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And when we make it about us, when we make the church about us, well, then it becomes an institution. And Jesus didn't come to start an institution. Jesus came to create a movement of God's kingdom in the world, a movement of transformation in the lives of people in every corner of this planet. And we get invited into that, that ministry of reconciliation. We don't have a ministry of of pointing others out. Uh, Nate said this last week. Nate said, what, what would the kingdom of God look like if we walked humbly with instead of pointing carelessly towards? What if we walked humbly with people instead of saying, that's the category you belong in. You don't belong here. What if we walked with people humbly and lived out this kingdom identity as citizens of the kingdom of God? Let's ask God to help us do that. Spirit of God to enable us to live that way. I want to invite the worship team to come up. And as they're coming up, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the new life that you created us for. We thank you for inviting us into your kingdom, allowing us to become citizens of this new way of life. Jesus, thank you for opening up heaven for us for taking my sin, my rebellion, my old identity as enemy of the cross and, and transforming me and adopting me as your son into your family. Lord, we pray that we can all pray that, that as sons and daughters of God, you have welcomed us in. Might we take time to examine our lives, to invite you to examine our lives and help us to lean to this posture of a citizen of heaven instead of leaning towards an enemy of the cross. Grab hold of our whole hearts. Call us again as your own. And remind us again of this calling to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Might we live into our next, into this week, into Monday morning, Lord, might we live as citizens of the kingdom, expecting you to do great things. And we praise you, Lord, all of this because of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has given us new life.
It's in his name we pray. Amen.